Hello and welcome to Dad Educates Daughter on 80s Music. This is Series 4, Episode 14. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Dad. You alright? I'm good, thank you. Good. So, you had this week George Michael, Rick Astley, Matt Bianco, Glenn Frey, John Mellencamp, and Kenny G. Yeah. So, how did you find this week? So, I think it's a bit of a jazzy week. I liked a lot of the instruments that were in it this week, and I think it's been a good week in comparison um, to some of the most recent ones we've had, as I think I've enjoyed the talent of the singers. Um, and I like that they do actually have the talent. Um, I don't think they came from bands either. Like, the majority, I mean. Um, so I think quite a few of these made it on their own. Um, and I feel like a few of them, if they were around with me, well, me personally, I think they could have been bigger. So I'm intrigued to find out as to, obviously, you'll find out which ones I mean. And I'm int- intrigued as to find out where, why they weren't whether it was just bad luck. Um, and I tell you what, you're in for a shocker with some of my opinions. I'll, get, I'll mm-hmm. tell you. I think you're going to be really shocked this week. Wow, so you don't like George Michael? Well, you're going to have to find out, but <laughs> um, I think everyone, I think quite a lot of people are going to be shocked. Okay. All right. So how many number ones? I think I've gone a bit far-fetched. But I've gone with four. I gave George Michael quite a few, not going to lie. Mm. You say four. Yeah. Uh, six. Really? Six, number one. Oh, I thought I was a bit faster. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I didn't give George Michael enough. Oh, I don't know. I think, hang on. I said one, two, three for George Michael, one for Rick Astley. I didn't go for anyone else. Oh, I wonder whether anyone else has got... Okay, all right. Um, so, yeah, you're, at, you're, you're right with the four because two of them are outside of the 80s. Oh, okay. So there was but four, then I've still listened to... You obviously the, wouldn't And I don't know which were. ones. Yeah. yeah. So you I listened to one. six number one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we should find out where they are. So let's talk music. Let's talk George Michael. Yes. So I've gone for just straight up pop with George Michael. Um, And I forgot how much I actually knew of his already as a soloist. And I feel like he's a big part of the 80s. Um, I definitely see why people had a crush on him. Like, he's definitely one of those poster men, well, poster boys. Um. He can mix it up and has real talent, which he really shows off when doing his slow songs. Um, what I did notice was some of these videos were actually towards women. and But he's gay, isn't he? He is. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I wonder when he came out. Not that that's a big deal at all as to when I think, in my personal opinion, I don't think anyone should have to come out. But because he's got quite a few videos that are sexualized towards women... I'm wondering whether he kind of kept it 
under wraps for a, a while. But yeah, he, he did. In, he did for was a while, he in yeah. Wham? He was. So I watched the Wham documentary that was on Netflix. I don't know if you saw watched it. Yes. And like that went into George Michael a lot. And they never really spoke about him coming out in that. So I wonder whether that's why his videos stayed kind of directed towards women. Because he never fully embraced it back then, I don't think. But that's just my, my thoughts. Not that it matters. Okay, so George Michael was born Georgius Panioto. I've probably said that completely wrong. Um, I think he's like Greek Cypriot. I was going to say that sounds Greek. Yeah, or Cypriot, Greek Cypriot, sort of around that, one of those. Um, so he's from East Finchley, Middlesex. He's been active since 1981 in the music business. He's a singer, songwriter, record producer. Or oh, sorry, was a singer, songwriter, record producer. Mm. Um, pop. Dance pop, R and B, and post disco, which in a sense is dance pop, I suppose. I wouldn't have said R and B though. Didn't really get any of that, unless that so was George like... Michael had an interest in music from the age of eight, and in his early teens, following his parents' moving house, he met Andrew Ridgely at his new school in Bushy near Watford. George started out in the music business by DJing, playing in clubs and local schools around Bushy. Which, funny enough, if you think about it, Elton John's obviously got links with that area because obviously he was the chairman or owner of Watford Football Club. And Bushy oh, and what have you, that's no, in that sort of area. So um, interesting they're both from the same place. Um, so, yeah, local schools around Bushy, Stanmore and, as I say, Watford. Um, he then formed a ska band called The Executive with Ridgely, Ridgely's brother Paul, Andrew Lever and David Mortimer. Mortimer would later be known as David Austin, who George has since said was his best friend. And Austin, who became a singer-songwriter in his own right, released the single Turn to Gold, which he co-wrote with George. And it reached number 68 on the UK charts. Uh, following the breakup of the short-lived executives, Michael and Ridgely formed the duo Wham! in 1981. And it was at this time he changed his name to George Michael, as felt it was more accessible I'd say it is because I can't even pronounce his last name of his real name. So. <laughs> Considering um, he lived in England as well, but his parents obviously came over. But yeah, it's sorry? a lot. I said, considering he lived in England mm -hmm. as well, um, it's definitely easier to be around and pronounce a George Michael, though that's very narrow minded. But yeah, I feel like it's it rolls off the tongue better to be famous with instead of people constantly getting your name wrong. And funny enough, again, like Elton John, changed mm. his name. Yeah. Uh, the duo's first album, Fantastic, reached number one on the UK album chart in 1983. And they went on to have a string of top ten hits, including Young Guns and Club Tropicana. While their second album, 
Make It Big made number one on the US Billboard Hot 200 album chart. And again, they had a string of hits on that album, including Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Freedom, Everything She Wants, and Careless Whisper. Which was Michael's first solo effort and reached number one in over 20 countries, including the US. But that was on a Wham! album. Yes, it was released under Wham!, which was a bit of a weird one. Yeah. Even though... It was a George Michael solo, but he wasn't so. Maybe that was that him. Time. Yeah, maybe that was but him. That was him trying it and then. Toes in the water. It. Yeah. Um, Wham officially separated in 1986, allowing Michael to pursue a solo career. Michael then saw more success as a soloist as he went on to become one of the best selling musicians of all time with estimated sales of between 100 million and 125 million records sold worldwide. Mad. Like one person did that. Yeah. I, why do I think that Wham! Wham! was a big, one of the big five, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like I thought Wham! were bigger than George Michael. But maybe, no, no. Maybe their songs are just more commercialised. Yeah. Commerci- commercialized and i, know I think because well. of their thing with duran duran and to a lesser dis, um scaled spandau ballet mm. they were i mean you was either when i was at school you was either duran duran or the, for the women you was either d- the girls is duran duran or wham uh, it's like you know i suppose go on what you're going to compare it to um, well, when I was growing up, on you played football and you was either Liverpool or Arsenal in the playground. Right. Because obviously you could only play two teams, so it was always just Liverpool because they were the two biggest teams. And it was the same with, with that, you know, are you Wham or Duran Duran? That's how it was. Mm. Yeah. I, I say you'd I have a few Bandels or culture clubs, but yeah, it was mainly... Durand, Durand, I just didn't know that George Michael became bigger yeah, yeah, as a soloist. Yeah. I didn't know he was that big as a soloist, but it does explain yeah. why I know a lot of his songs already, I guess. And I did, uh, to be fair, I did say I feel like he's a big part of the 80s, but then I think that in my head comes from Wham as well. So, as well as being a prominent figure in popular music, Michael also made headlines for various other reasons, like his sexuality which became news in 1998 when he came out as being gay, although he had told Andrew and his sisters he was bisexual when he was 19. Ah, yes, that was in the documentary. I do remember that. In 2007, Michael said he hid his sexuality because he was worried of what effect it would have on his parents. Michael has also said he used to sleep with women during his Wham! days, but never felt able to develop a relationship. And by the end of Wham! he had depression, as he realised he was gay and not bisexual, as when he fell in love with a man, he realised that none of the relationships with women had been love. Obviously, you know, felt different. Yeah. Um, in 1996, Michael released the single Jesus to a Child, which is a tribute to his first partner, Brazilian Ansimel Felipa, who died of AIDS in 1993, 
two years into their relationship. The album Older, also released in 1996, is dedicated to Philippa. Philippa. Oh, like just that one particular partner. Oh. Oh, that's quite cute. In 1998, Michael was arrested in Beverly Hills, California, for engaging in a lured act in a public restroom. Michael was arrested by an undercover policeman in a sting operation. Michael was sentenced to 80 hours of community service and fined 810 US dollars. Michael made a video for his single Outside which made fun of the incident. Oh, I wonder how did that go down? I think the, the, the single went really well. Um, and obviously that's how he ended up coming out. Because obviously he's been found. <laughs> he's made a rude act towards a male policeman. And yeah. Um, so yeah, so um, the single outside, which you didn't have, did you? No. It's like... Let's go outside, let's go outside in and it yeah, you need to listen to it, but it's it's literally his take on or a seratical take on I didn't have to oh wait, it was in the nineties, so of course I didn't Yeah. On that um event. In February two thousand and six Michael was arrested for possession of Class C drugs, an incident he has described as my own stupid fault. Then in 2007, he was banned for driving for two years after obstructing the road at a set of traffic lights in Crinklewood, northwest London, and found guilty of drug-impaired driving. Michael played at Live 8 at Hyde Park, London, where he joined Paul McCartney on stage to sing the Beatles' Drive My Car. Michael was also the first artist to perform at the new Wembley Stadium. Oh. Michael won many awards during his career, including being Billboard's top male artist in 1988, Brit Award for Best British Male Solo Artist in 1997, a Grammy for Album of the Year with Faith in 1989, and an Iver Novello Award for Songwriter of the Year in 1989 and 1997. It was big then. Can I just clarify as well, an Iver Novello Award, that's like big in music business, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like an Oscar? I suppose, yeah, it's the equivalent, I suppose. But well, also Grammys are big as well. And obviously the yeah. Brit Awards over here. But yeah, but I'd say I the Ivan like, Novello is like... I feel like less people get an Ivan Novello, so it's more a bigger aim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like you can re if you release new music, you're more than likely, and you're in the charts, you're more than likely going to be up for a Brit Award. And yeah. you're more than likely... You know, you might get it depending on how big you are. But yeah. an Ivan Novella feel like select few get it. So it'd be my that'd be where I I'd be aiming anyway. On Christmas Day in 2016, Michael died in bed at his home in Goring on Thames at the age of just 53. From natural causes. Elton John led the tribute, saying, What a singer, what a songwriter. But more than anything, 
He was one of the kindest, sweetest, most generous people I've ever met. At the 2017 Grammy Awards, Adele performed a slow version of Fast Love, while at the 2017 Brits, Coldplay's Chris Martin performed A Different Corner. George Michael had seven UK number one singles during his career, not including Wham, and seven UK number one albums. Again, not including Wham, that's just him on his own. So he was big. I did not realise he was that big. I remember his death, and I remember like how much that did shock, shock, like shake people, and like the tributes and whatnot. But again, because he was in Wham, I thought he was just big from that. But obviously not. He he was big on his own. Yeah. Okay. So the songs that you had. Mm. And Mm. yeah, also think of this. I didn't actually have that many. No, no, no. And then I guess a lot of his 80s was taken up by Wham, also, wasn't it? Yeah, you got to remember he was with Wham during the 80s. Um, That was like 86 at April. So, yeah. Yeah. So, 1984, Careless Whisper, number one. I said that was the number one. I should let you know what I said. Yeah. Careless Whisper was one, by the way. Um, I think it's a good piece of music. Feel like it's got a saxophone in there. And I did say, oh, I think um no, not I think. I do like the instruments this week. Um Careless Whisper, it's very calm, bit of a love song. Um okay. just before you go on, my other number ones for George were Faith and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me with Elton John. Okay. So 1986, a different corner. You didn't have it number one, but it was a number one. Oh, okay. I thought this was a bit of a ballad. Heartfelt, deep. I can see why it's a number one, yeah. I just didn't think he'd have two in a row, not going to lie. 87, I knew you were waiting for me with Aretha Franklin was number one. Shut up. He's got three number ones in a row. Oh, my God, I can't cope. Um, This was a really good duet. Upbeat chorus, very catchy. Do you know what's funny? I uh, listened to Aretha Franklin. Like, she sang Respect, didn't she? I'm not sure, but she's um, Whitney Houston's aunt, I do believe. Oh, is she? I'm pretty sure there's a connection. I think it is that she's her aunt. So will I not have her? Is she older? Yeah, yeah, she's older. Oh, I thought she was 80s, which is why I mentioned it, because I was well proud of myself that I know mm-hmm. things like that. All right. Um, 1987, I Want Your Sex, number three. Okay, still high. I don't think this one has much to it, and I can't understand all the lyrics. Um, then we have 1987, Faith. Number two. Oh, really? Yes. I thought that I put that's my favourite, by the way. As uh-huh. much as I knew it, I think that's a, an amazing song. It's a classic. I thought that was his biggest song. It's such a feel-good song, and it's so like repetitive and catchy, like it gets stuck in your head. 
good one. Okay. Um, 1988, Father Figure, number 11. Mm, bit of a drop. This one's quite subtle, uh, very calm, and I'd, I'd say that the chorus saves it. Okay. Um, still in 1988, One More Try, number 8. Okay, slow song. Shows off his vocals really well. 1988 still. Monkey. I can't even remember this one myself. Number 13. You won't remember much. It's like the same tempo throughout. I don't think it's an up there song. It is chi, but the beat lacks. Um, 1988 again. Kissing a Fool. Number 18. And this one's got a deeper meaning, I think. Like it's very passionate in how he's singing it. Um, like he's singing to someone. It was very it was a lovely listen to. Okay. Uh 1990. Oh Praying yeah. for Time number six. Okay, this one was meaningful, raw, just yeah. Like, really deep. Okay. 1991, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me with Elton John, number one. Hey, I was right with two. Um, do you know what I thought this song was? Don't let the sun go down on me. Uh. Yeah, I thought it was that right. So I was singing it when you sent me the list. Then I listened to it. I was like, yeah, this isn't what I had in my head. But <laughs> it is a brilliant piece of music. And I watched a video of them doing it at Live Aid. Uh -huh. like, yeah, I watched them doing it. And I was like, oh, that's that's quite that's quite cool. It is a brilliant piece of music. It's just not the one I had in my head when I first got it sent over. Yeah. And then um, I gave you this one because it was his last number one. And that was 1996. This was a number one. Love. This was a number one. He, that's, so this was his final number one. Um, so his seventh, as I say, he had seven um, from 1996. 1990, okay, I did say, is it more recent? It's very catchy and very fast paced. Do you know what? Who did you say did a cover of it in tribute? Was it Adele? Um, Adele did it at the Grammys. But a slow version, said. I don't want to listen to that because when you said a slow version, I was like, oh, yeah, because it is fast paced. Um, so I'm intrigued. So his other two number ones, which I didn't give you, right? Because I'm guessing yeah. is obviously outside of the um, as you say, outside of the 80s. It was Five Alive, an EP, which right. wasn't his. It was, it was, um, how can I put it? It was Five Artists. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so Five Alive is an EP released in 1993 featuring five in some countries where it is considered to be a reduced length long playing album, six tracks performed by George Michael. Queen and Lisa Stansfield. 
So they all done it, and it was um, they were recorded at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert held on the twentieth of April, nineteen ninety two. So then it was released as an EP. That as George Michael. So it got to number one, but because he's one of the performers, he's credited. Right. Okay. So it's well. not him. But it's not him. It's not even his song. Um, so he sang um killer um somebody to love papa was a rolling stone these are the days of our lives and calling you so actually he pretty much performed all of them um or he did he performed on all five um but he performed with them. So these are the days of our lives as performed by Queen, George Michael and Lisa Stansfield. Hence right. Lisa Stansfield credited. Yeah. Papa was a Rolling Stone was just George Michael. Killer was just George Michael. Somebody to Love, which obviously was a Queen song, was performed by Queen and George Michael. Right. Um, and then there was another one on some of the other EPs. As I say there were six six on some five or another and that was not that was the one that he didn't perform when it was performed by um queen dear friends so yeah that was um one of his other ones and then the final one was jesus to a child which was one i said he'd released um for uh his partner yeah so he had three partners in the end there was can't think of them the one the, the most prominent i think his name was kenny but i'm not i'm sent sure i might be getting muddled up so we've got kenny g kenny um, and <laughs> then there was the one he was with at the time of his death who he was living with just yeah. down the road in goring yeah well down the road to you a bit further down so, the road from me hey said down the road to you yeah it's not really down my road is it no um okay so on to rick astley yeah was he always a soloist yes okay i thought so well um, certainly he didn't start off i mean as you'll find out he was in a band but no he's never, as far as when he became big he's only ever known as a soloist okay i've gone with just pop plain pop again um I think, oh, he can move. He can do a bit of dancing, you know. And do you know what? He looks like a child. No, that that's an insult. But he does look really young. But his voice is so deep. So deep that it doesn't really match his face. Like, it just doesn't go with him. Um, yeah, he's got a mix of songs. I feel like he comes across as like a cheeky chap. And do you know what? A lot of the time I was just like, I can't get over his voice. I can't get over it. Also, did you know, um, you watch Strictly, don't you? Yeah. I know everyone does. Did you know he has a new song that he performed on there? Yeah, last week or the week before, yeah. Well, by the time, see him in, in by the time this comes out, Dad, it won't be last week or the week before. Oh, true, yeah. Um, yeah. He was on there recently. When are you seeing him? We are seeing him next February, I think. Oh, okay. Yes, in Nottingham. Oh. Because everywhere else had sold out. 
Oh, okay. So he's got a big following still yeah. now. I think it's Sainsbury's. Their Christmas advert. He's in it. This year? Yeah. I've not seen any Christmas. Um, someone, a little girl goes onto the tannoy and says, what does Father Christmas eat or have on Christmas Day or something? I can't remember exactly what it is. And then like, there's loads of people saying he has this, he has that. And Rick Astley says, cheese. Oh, what a great part. <laughs> you need to watch so, it to get the... Okay, I'll, I'll look at it. But like his tour, is this a comeback thing or... No, I think it... he's, been, he's been... I've seen him at Rewind a few times. So right. he's, yeah, he's never really... He's around. He's never but, um, I suppose it's like must be forty odd years now. I suppose. Um, oh no, maybe not. Don't know. Forty years in the business. I mean, is is he, he didn't he was late in the eighties. Late. Okay. Well, let's find out. You can tell yes. me all about the eighties. So, Rick Astley is from Newton Le Willows. Five. Hang on, say that again. He's from where? Newton Le Willows. Where's that? Um, it says Lancashire. Oh, never heard of that. No, I haven't either. So yeah, Newton Le Willows. Um, he's a singer-songwriter, and his music is or genre is pop, dance pop again, and blue-eyed soul. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like I can think about when we've had that before. Can't tell you who with, but when you've described it, I kind of get it. But just pop. He's pop. So Ashley, Ashley, Ashley became a musician after leaving school and started out as a drummer for soul band FBI. Um, who were well-known locally with Astley and guitarist David Morris writing their own music. Morris went on to be a politician, serving as MP for Morecambe, no doubt. Who's <laughs> in a career change. Hey? Who's Morris? Just someone he was in a band with? He was in a band with him. Right, okay. FBI, a soul band. Right. Uh, well, no, no, that wasn't a... No, it was just... A, yeah, soul band, yeah. FBI. Yeah. And um, he wrote the songs with the guitarist David Morris, right. who went on to become a politician and was MP for Morecambe. Very, very flippant. When the lead singer left the, the band, and Morris also left to concentrate on his career in hairdressing. <laughs> so he became a hairdresser. He was a musician, then a hairdresser, and then he became a politician. Do you know what I'd love to do? It would be hard for you to find them, but love to do a series on like the ones who didn't quite make it to find out where they went, <laughs> just to have a little giggle. You know, like ones like that. And we've had ones before where they end up doing. I mean, that's probably the most outrageous one. But we've had ones before. We've had ones before where they like go to write books or I don't know, go teaching or whatever. We well, Sting was a teacher. Yeah, but that was before, weren't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's different. I mean, yeah. after they've tried. 
you know after they've really tried and they're also it's like how cool would it be you're that morris guy dan morris david morris whatever his name is and he's like you know doing his hairdressing uh rick astley wouldn't have been that big at that point but he's a politician he's like oh yeah rick astley rick astley i was in a band with him wrote songs yeah probably doesn't mention it because he probably doesn't get taken seriously but still imagine just being able to name drop like that So Astley offered to be the lead singer. And it was while performing with FBI as the lead vocalist that he was noticed by the record producer, Pete Waterman, who persuaded Astley to come down to London to work at PWL, Pete Waterman Limited, recording studio with RCA Records publishing his music under the production team of... Mike Stock, Matt Aitken, and Pete Waterman, otherwise known as Doc Aitken and Waterman. Bear in mind, we're at the end of the 80s when they were big with Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan, among others. You you getting pulled up by then, you're going to be like, yes, okay. So, yeah, so Astley learned about the recording process and was groomed for his future career while starting off as the studio T-boy. Aww. Also, that's a really weird way to put it, that he was groomed. Yeah. 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 Um, In 1987, Astley recorded his first single, When You're Gonna, a collaboration with Lisa Fabrian, and charted at number 17 in the Netherlands and number 20 in Belgium. Astley's first solo single was never gonna give you up although recorded in january it wasn't released until august and although the producers were initially unenthusiastic about the single probably why it took them so long to actually release it it charted at number one in 25 countries including the u.s Australia and Germany. Can I say that's my one number one for Rick Astley? Okay. My asterisk. The single went on to become the UK's highest selling single of 1987. Wow. In the wake of Astley's unexpected global success, Stock Aitken and Waterman resurrected an old single they originally recorded in 1985 with O.G. Brown. So Whenever You Need Somebody was Astley's second single and it too became a worldwide hit when charting at number one in seven countries, including Germany and Sweden. While the album Whenever You Need Somebody also charted at number one on the UK album chart, as well as number one in Australia and number 10 on the US Billboard Hot 200 album chart, selling 15.2 million copies worldwide. So imagine that 15 million people own your album. He was quite big then. I didn't realise he was this big. Yeah. Enough to sell that many. And uh, then think who he's got behind him. Stock 
In December 1987, Astley recorded a cover version of Nat King Cole's classic, When I Fall in Love. King Cole, why do I remember yeah. that? When I fall in love. Well, I know what it sounds like. I've listened oh. to it. What about oh. who's Nat King Cole? You he was a he was a big star in the forties, oh, fifties. Okay, I've just heard. Um, and was on track to be the Christmas number one. What the When I Fall in Love? Yeah. Oh, go on, because it obviously wasn't. Oh, you're not going to tell me there's a few dirty deeds going on from the rivals. So, rivals EMI were hoping to see their act. Hey, the labels, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not an act. There's not an artist called EMI. No, no, no. The rivals EMI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To um. Who did I say? I can't remember who. RCA Records is who Stock Aitken and Waterman used. Yeah. So EMI were also hoping to be number one. Number one at Christmas with their act, the Pet Shop Boys. Oh, hang on. What one was that? Um, so they, EMI, re-released Nat King Cole's original version which led to a slowdown in sales for everyone wanted the original yeah and we're like this is and saw the pet shop boys top the chart at christmas with their cover version of always on my mind uh right how could emi re-release Nat King Coles for they well, they would have bought the price to it. it. They would have bought the price. That yeah. is sad. So. That's sad. Clever and though. That, you know what? That's no, good marketing. Was, yeah, you're only happy because it was Pet Shop Boys that got the number one. Yeah, well, yeah, I am, but it wasn't their song. They were both whoever was going to be number one, it was a cover it version, was wasn't it? Yeah. So it didn't but, really matter. Do you know what that tells me? EMI knew that Rick Astley was going to be number one. Set. Oh, well, he was on track for number one. Yeah. And that's why EMI yeah. went, oh, which obviously then slowed down the sales of his because then people were like, oh, why am I getting a cover and I can get the original? Don't like dirty. Don't and like Petro Boys was the Christmas number one. Yeah. Of 1987. I wouldn't be celebrating that too hard, though. So Astley went on to release nine studio albums. With the most recent Are We There Yet released in 2023. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I was going to act really shocked then because I was at first. And then I remembered, well, duh, he's been on Strictly. <laughs> and he is currently touring the UK, as we said earlier. In 1988, Never Gonna Give You Up won Breast British Single of the Year at the Brit Awards. Mm going to be the number one that he has so yeah so that was rick astley i quite like his little story as soon as you mentioned peter waterman that's yep. the one and pete waterman. pete waterman i knew straight away that's it that's how we got it that's how we got it and do you know what that's one thing in it sometimes it's just luck like what would happen if he didn't get found by him 
might have gone into politics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 1987, never going to give you up. Number one. Yeah. I knew it would be. It's well, too when I said twenty-five countries, it's well, it's, yeah. Imagine if it did. Really, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's sing-along. It's repetitive. It's a catchy classic, isn't it? It's yeah. a classic. Stock Aitken and Waterman, I think. Yeah, but to me, I don't really know. I'd like to do a thing on Stock Aitken and Waterman because they weren't. We've not, like you know, like Midjour. I know a lot about him and I know what he, because he was also an artist, whereas Stock Aitken and Waterman weren't really, were they? No, but then you could say the same about Trevor Horn. You know, he had the buggles, but like then he went into producing and had Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And... Yeah, but I feel like he's not as been. No, no. You've oh, he, he, got Giorgio Moroda. You've got, you know, there was others in. During the eighties, I think I'm just really, um, and it's just stock aching and Waterman come at the end of the eighties when the music changed and it was literally just pop, mm. good old fashioned pop. You know, I you had Donny, you had well, James and Donovan, you had Rick Astley, and obviously Kylie Minogue. And it was literally just, I think they produced a lot of people that banana rama. Yeah. So, yeah. I just think no, I just, they just interest me for some for, mm. considering I don't really know much. There about. was a good program on them, whether it's still online. Um, I can't remember if it was Channel 4 or Channel 5, but yeah. I'll get you to look that up later. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on, Rick Astley. So um, 1987, Whenever You Need Somebody, number three. I'll take that. That was my favourite. There's a nice build up to the chorus from the verses. It's got really good flow. Like it's just a a song that you just feel like you go with the song. I can't explain it, but my favourite, fantastic. Uh, 1987, when I fall in love. Number two, yeah, as we know, obviously, um, <laughs> would have been number lovely, one. And it is beautifully sung. It is. It does show off his talent. But what was weird is it. I don't know. I did, it's not my up there one for him because I don't like the way it's sung. Mm -hmm. I think he's better singing just normal pop stuff. I don't think he's... Maybe you need to listen to the original version of it. Maybe. Uh, 1988, Together Forever, number two. It's just like a teen pop song. I can see why that got to number two, you know. Like, people would have been like, oh, yeah, this is the music. And it's like one of those where you just know you had teenagers playing it in their bedroom. Hmm. 1988 again. She Wants to Dance with Me, number six. Beat, fast pace, gets you moving. This is where I think you really see the pop coming in, which is, I guess, why you can tell he's at the end of the 80s. Uh, 1988 again, Take Me To Your Heart, number eight. Okay, pure singing, and as very simple verses, it kind of dialed it back a bit. It was still nice. 1989, Hold Me In Your Arms, number ten. Yeah, there's not much to it, a bit repetitive. 
And I'd okay. say it's quietly in the background. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next one's not in the 80s. So I just oh. want to point out that every one of his releases were a top yeah. 10 hit. Yeah, they were. One, three, two, two, six, eight, ten. Yeah. And then in 1991, Cry for Help, number seven. Oh, so even as he keeps going. But then again, we say this. How many other songs did he release that didn't go anywhere? I don't think I'm there'd sure have been any, any others. Not, um, sure. not in the 80s, because They're I would have said it wouldn't have been outside the top 40. Yeah. So you'd have had it. Was. Yeah, you'd have had it if it was in yeah. the 30s or something. So yeah. I would say every one of his in the Absolutely. 80s that he released was, was what you've had, and it was top 10. Yeah. Um, well, cry. So yeah, it was actually his, his, he released. His song after Cry for Help yeah. was his first song called Move Right Out Outside the Top 40. Yeah. So even, you know, it wasn't just outside the top That's 10. It was outside the top 40 at number 58. That's and so then cool. in also in 1991, Never Knew Love was number 70. How? So he literally just went. He did have another top 40 hit in 1993 with Hopelessly at number 33. But otherwise, that was the end of his career. That's he literally bad. was yeah, that. He's late, 87, 88, 89, and then a, yeah, a bit of in the early 90s. And then yeah, he's, yeah, he's still releasing music. He's still going for it. Yeah, but not if you release something now, you're not going to really. His albums might do well, but not necessarily singles. Do you know what? I was thinking about this the other day. Because um, you like to keep me updated with like the charts um, with the 80s. Yeah. Um, like OMD, who's number two in the album chart. Yeah. Um, so and obviously, that is, they were one of the first. That yeah. we we talked about because they were very early. They were one of the first from the synth pop synthesizer era, and they were probably around in the late seventies. Yeah. So when you told me about them recently, um, it got me thinking. I was like, how are these eighties people that are coming back getting into the album chart? Well, you lot, your age. Correct me if I'm wrong. You will still buy music. You'll still go out and buy a CD. Like you've sent me CDs for you to get as presents. And also, because of that, you get the whole album. But I also think you wouldn't just download a single. You'd go, like, I think it's your generation that are the album people. So that's mm -hmm. how you're getting your 80s into the, like, at OMD recently at number two. I was probably thinking about it at how the generation gap is and how it affects that. Like I don't yeah, even know right, we, we, we you you buy singles because you like that whereas we we like the bands and it's like oh that's a you know, they've had a yeah, good couple of singles. I'm gonna go out and buy the band, album to see what but, else they've got. But I think especially if it's a band that you had when you were younger. Yeah. It's like that nostalgia feel, isn't it? Oh, they're back. Let's see what they're releasing. Mm. But also, I well, I mean, technically, I mean, I don't even buy music. I just pay for a subscription. Uh -huh. That's, yeah. But it was just something that I thought about. 
talking okay. about. Yeah. So that's that's your six number ones. George that's Michael with five. Rick Astley yeah. with one. Well, at least I was right that Rick Astley only had one. Yeah. I just didn't get five for George Michael. Did three. Okay. And I didn't get Moving them. Moving on to Matt Bianco. Mm. Um, I've gone with synth pop slash jazz. Um, I feel he's very 80s. Like he's got a very 80s feel with him. Um, he experimented a bit with sounds. Um, I don't really know who he is, if I'm honest. There seem to be so many people in the songs. So like when I watched videos, it doesn't really focus on one person. So I was like, maybe he's a producer and has ses- session music session vocalist um i'm not quite sure because there's a female vocalist as well and i'm like well this isn't a male soloist like i'm confused so i'm intrigued at what he's about um i feel like it was like a low production budget as well like his videos are to a high standard they're not up there let's say but yeah i'm intrigued like i want to know about this guy because you know i had six songs and i'm just a bit confused as to how i never really found out who he was it's like a mystery i tell you okay well matt bianco is a bit of a mystery because it just says from the uk i can't even tell you where they're from you've been telling where he why are you saying there why not he why not saying he (laughs) Active since 1983. Right, so he's early. He's not a he. You found something out, and that's why you So, I'm going to be honest, because I weren't a fan of theirs. Theirs? Yeah. They are a British band. So they're another band who sound like a soloist like Danny Wilson. Yeah, was Only I fallen for it, because I thought it was. Again. Right. So where was I knew Danny Wilson wasn't Danny Wilson? I knew that was a group. Matt Bianco, I always thought was a person. I wasn't a fan of theirs or anything, you know. So I had no reason to know that Matt Bianco, written in the charts, wasn't Matt Bianco. So they felt it was only when I was writing it and I thought Hang on there, they're a band. Should have been in the bands. But so you say you're not a fan. Did you not listen to any of their music? Yeah, I remember I mean they they um what did you think then? Because there's a female I haven't watched the videos or anything. Dad, there's a female vocalist. Well I hadn't really thought that. I hadn't thought I know there is. I know her name. <laughs> if you stop ridiculing me, I'll tell you. Uh, I fell for it. I thought Thank Matt you. Bianco was a soloist. Okay, Matt Bianco is a British band in the same way as I've said, like Danny Wilson. So, and I think we've had another one as well that was like it. I can only remember one. So, I think I got fooled. Bellu Soom, I thought was a band, and that was a bloke. I think I've had it the other way round as well. Oh, maybe actually. So yeah, um, so yeah, Matt Bianco were formed by singer Mark Riley, keyboardist Danny White, and bassist Keto 
Ponciano, all of whom had just left art pop group Blue Rondo, a la Turk. Okay. Bit of a mouthful that for your group. What a name. Um, and they were joined by Polish vocalist Basia Trezeluska. Okay. Okay, so she was their vocalist and she's Polish. Nice. Um, the band were pictured on their first single, Get Out of Your Lazy Bed, although Ponciano had left the band before it was recorded. Oh, so no point. Britain's on the cover. No. Yeah, he's on the cover. I've had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Not even on the recording. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Before it was recorded, but he did feature on the B-side track, Big Rosie, and did receive co-writing credit on the album track, Half a Minute. Right. Which was also a chart success when released in 1984. The album, Whose Side Are You On?, reached number one in Australia, and as did follow-up album, Matt Bianco, which also fared better in the UK at number 26, compared to their debut album, which only reached number 35. While the second album's lead single, Yeah Yeah, went on to give the band their best chart when reaching number seven in Germany. Don't Blame It On That Girl and Wap Bam Boogie, which reached number seven in Italy. So they were quite all right international. Yeah. Okay. So by this time, the lineup had changed as both Abassia and White formed a romantic relationship and both left soon after the first album so um, that Abassia could pursue an international solo career. So she's obviously the vocalist. Oh, right. So then he just gave up his career for her. And they didn't even last. Well, that's a bit of a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? So Bassia released five albums with minimal success, although she did chart at number 16 in France with her debut album mm. and number six with her third album in Japan okay. and number four in her homeland Poland in 2009 with her fourth album. And although her relationship with White ended and she is now in a relationship with another musician, Kevin Robinson, a member of Simply Red. Oh, I know them. So with both Bassia and White leaving, Mark Riley recruited Jenny Evans to become the new female singer and keyboardist Mark Fisher who had previously played with Sister Sledge and was the keyboardist in Wham! and performed on their 1985-1986 world tour. Interesting. It's a bit of a claim to fame, isn't it? Yeah. Fisher also became Matt Bianco's songwriter and producer. With the addition of Fisher, the sound of Matt Bianco changed considerably 
and their third album Indigo, the second with Fisher, was um, Matt Bianco's best charting album in the UK at number 23, although only charted at number three in Australia, whereas obviously previously they'd been number one. While single, Don't Blame It On That Girl, Wap Bam Boogie, which was Matt Bianco's best charting single, written by members of the band um, as Yeah Yeah was a cover of George Fane's 1964 number one hit with his band, The Blue Flames. So Yeah Yeah was their best chart success, but wasn't their song. Right. So Matt Bianco got unwelcome attention when appearing on kids' TV show Saturday Superstore, which I loved. Um, now, I remember this. I don't think I watched it at the time, but, I, I mean, it often comes up in, um, you know, how be, be, uh, bloopers, TV bloopers or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't realise it was Matt Bianco was the band. So listen to this. So, <laughs> They're on Saturday Superstore to promote their debut album, Whose yeah. Side Are You On? And during a live phone-in, because that's how things were done back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A caller phoned in and said, Hello, Matt Bianco. You're a bunch of... But obviously, because um, it was live, the beep didn't actually happen. And it was a kids' TV uh, show. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I think it was on like midday when Grandstand started or whatever. But yeah. Who has time to do that? Yep. But that's about, so they weren't, people weren't really a big fan of him then, maybe. No. So thus becoming infamous in children's TV history. And as I say, they are often on, you know, like children tv what went so jenny evans left after the band's second album and was never replaced while mark fisher died in 2016 unfortunately who was the person who was in wham mm-hmm. um so after 12 albums mark riley continued as a soloist under the name of matt bianco so there was a soloist called matt bianco <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, for another two albums in 2017 and 2020, meaning he was the only member involved in all 15 video albums. That's a lot, isn't it, for people that and have done well. Riley has since said that the name Matt Bianco is in fact a made-up spy, a oh, secret... Okay. Agent as the founders loved spy TV themes and film scores. Okay. So they just made they up a name and said he's a spy. They were high. That's okay. all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, Matt Bianco, 1984, Get Out Your Lazy Bed, number 15. Okay. Quick, um, simple lyrics and to the point. Okay. 1984, half a minute, number 23. Oh, I like this one. Um, I like the tune, but I'm waiting for it to kick in. Like, you're just waiting for that oomph to happen. Didn't happen. 1985, yeah, yeah, number 13. 
See, this one's just quick, and I don't really know what's being sung, but it's got a catchy beat to it. Mm. Was number one the original when originally released, as I say. Mm. And in 1988, the double A of Don't Blame It on That Girl and Wap Bam Boogie got to number 11. Okay, well, Don't Blame It on That Girl was my favourite. Great song, good vocals, good beat, good piece of music. And Wap Bam Boogie... I feel like moved the genre a bit and had a lot of instrumentals. Okay. Moving on to Glenn Frey. Yeah. So I only had two of these. I went with soft rock. Um, it's got elements to the music, like there's layers, you know, like you can unpick it. Um, he's rock, but not rock. Like I can't I can't explain that. All I can say is he's like got a hint of rock, but it's not the yeah. Um it's got an edge to it. Um, I think he should have maybe been bigger, and I can't put my finger on who it was specifically when I've watched videos. Um, but the videos they really tell a story, and that's why because it's like a like a proper video. Um, so I couldn't really tell you what Glenn Frey really. Okay, so Glenn Frey is from Detroit, Michigan, US. He's been active in the business since nineteen sixty six. Ooh. He's a musician, singer, songwriter. <laughs> so, um, guitarist, keyboard, disc. Mm. And you're right, it's rock, pop rock, soft rock. So, Frey was a founder member of the Eagles, along with Don Henley. Yeah. The Eagles are then really old band, isn't it? Well, like, 70s. Yeah, but they were, okay. Not really so, we've already had Don Henley. Yeah, yeah. Um, Frey was the co-lead singer and frontman for the Eagles, frontman, sorry, for the Eagles. It was during the hiatus, hiatus of the Eagles from 1980 to 1994 that um, Frey embarked on a solo career. In 1982, he released his debut solo album, No Fun Around, which reached number 32 on the Billboard chart. While the single, The One You Love, reached number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100. And number two on both the US and Canadian adult contemporary charts. While Party Town made number five on the Billboard mainstream rock chart. Frey's second album, The All Nighter, released in 1984, reached number 22 on the Billboard Hot 200 album chart. While the single Sexy Girl reached number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 12 on the Canadian Adult Contemporary Chart. Follow-up single Smuggler's Blues reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 6 in Ireland. Oh. Ray's third studio album, Soul Searching, released in 1988, charted at number 36 on the Billboard Hot 200, while the single True Love charted at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 2 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary, while the title track Soul Searching reached number 5 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. Frey's fourth studio album, Strange Weather, released in 1992, 
was a commercial disappointment with neither the album or any of its three released singles charting, although critics said it was an improvement on Frey's previous album, Soul Searching. So even though they said it was an improvement, um, not as far as the paying public. Well, I was going to say, like, they say it's an improvement, but I've not got any other songs bar the ones from his first album. Yeah. So... Um, in 1984, oh, you had you had a song from his second album, Smuggler's Blues. Oh, Smuggler's, yeah, sorry, I forgot we were on the third. Um, in 1984, Frey recorded The Heat Is On, a song written by Harold Faltermeyer for the film Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. which Faltermeyer wrote the score for and had a hit himself with Axel F, as you've already I was going to say, I recognise that name. I've heard oh. this. Yes, yes, yes. It's a crazy frog, I'm telling you. But I said that when I listened to it. Um. So The Heat Is On reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and also number two in Australia and Norway while making the top ten in Ireland, Canada, Sweden, Switzerland and Germany. Grey also had another single release from a soundtrack with You Belong to the City from Miami Vice, which was co-written by Frey with Jack Kempchin. The song charted at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as number two on both the Canadian and the Billboard Adult Contemporary Charts in 1985. By 1994, the Eagles had returned, or sorry, reformed, whatever you want to say, um, and Frey didn't release another solo album until 2012, when he released After Hours. This would be Frey's last solo album. Wait, in was January, that the name of the, so- the album? After the, Hours, this would be his last album, or was it After Hours and you're telling me that was his last solo album? In 2012, he released After Hours and that would be his last solo album. The way you spoke it sounded like the album was called <laughs> After Hours. This would be... It is called album. After Hours. Yeah, but then it sounded like it... Like it was called After Hours, this would be Frey's last album. That sounded like the whole name. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. No. Carry on. The Carry album on. was called After Hours. Yeah. Pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This would be Frey's <laughs> last solo album. Yeah, I'm with you now. In January 2018, following an illness brought on by his arthritis medication, which Ooh. had earlier seen the Eagles postponing a concert, Frey died at the age of 67 following surgery due to complications from pneumonia. That's a bit worrying, arthritis medication giving you a bit of a disease. Mm. So, two songs. Yeah. 1985, The Heat Is On, got to number 12. That was my favourite out of the two. I kind of recognised the chorus, but I didn't recognise the song. Um, it was very catchy, and I got this stuck in my head, and I really liked the build-up to the chorus as well. 
also back on my instruments um i think there was another saxophone in there i think i like the saxophone sound i might saxophone i think is a sound i like um it's a great addition makes a song and then smugglers blues um which was probably delayed to be released over here because he obviously wasn't big over here but i suppose on the back of the success of the heat heat is on they released smugglers blues over here then when it came out in 1984 um and it got to number 22 Okay, there's a story behind it, I think, and I watched a video. It's a long video. Um, this has got the bit of edge. It's a bit mysterious, um, but got a good beat. Okay. On to John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, so I want to know about the Cougar. I think he's country. Maybe. I think he's a one-hit wonder. Um, well, he is because he's only got one hit, but I mean, I think he probably hit quite high um, with that one hit and became a one hit wonder. Because usually, if you hit quite high, you're more than likely going to get a second hit, aren't you? But he didn't. Um, I hate that I didn't give myself time to listen to more. Um, but it's just been one of those weeks, so I didn't end up. I didn't end up listening to more. But yeah. Um, I like the video for Jack and Diane. It's like a timeline of a couple's life together. Um, I thought it was really clever. So, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. One so, John Cougar Mellencamp is from Seymour, Indiana, US. He's been active since 1974. He's a musician, singer, songwriter, and he's a guitarist. Is what he is as a musician. Um, Heartland Rock, Hard Rock, and Folk Rock. Folk, bit of country, maybe. Yeah. And I guess Heartland is a sort of probably mm, along maybe, the same lines. Yeah. So, Mellencamp played in several local bands, including glam rock band Trash. Mellencamp then gave up drugs and alcohol, which he got into oh. while at college. And decided to pursue a career in music by relocating to New York City in an attempt to land a record deal. After 18 months traveling between Indiana and New York City, in 1974 and 1975, he met Tony DeFries of Main Man Management, who insisted that Mellencamp's first album chestnut street incident which was a collection of cover songs with some original songs be released under the stage name of johnny cougar as he felt mellencamp was too hard to market mellencamp reluctantly agreed and the album was a commercial failure Mellencamp has since said my stage name was put to me by some manager and he said everyone says it sounds like a hillbilly to which I replied I am oh okay so he likes the name no he likes his own name oh so John Mellencamp sounds like a hillbilly they were saying yes Oh, I thought they were on about Johnny Cougar. No, no, that's why he said to change it. So I was totally unaware of the stage name until I saw the album cover. Johnny Cougar. 
Of all the names. When I objected to the name, he said, well, you either agree to it or we don't put the album out. I would have sued. I don't know with what money, but I would have sued. So Mellencamp released six studio albums between 1976 to 1983 under the name Johnny or John Cougar with 1982's American Fool charting at number one on both the Billboard Hot 200 chart and the Canadian album chart. Imagine having a number one, but it's not in your own name and you don't even like the name it's in. I mean... I would have all hang on that you know the first album that he released of it, it was a flop. Yeah. I would have turned around to my management and gone because their name, change it back. I wouldn't <laughs> have carried on. I'd have been like, no, I don't want anything to do with that name. But apparently, he didn't have the balls. Well, singles hurt so good charted at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and number three in Canada while also charting at number five in both Australia and South Africa. Follow-up single, Jack and Diane, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one in Canada. Oh, okay, where on earth did it get over here? While also making the top ten in Australia, number seven. Following this success, Mellencamp started releasing his work as John Cougar Mellencamp. So he kept the cougar, even though he didn't like it. But I guess it's so well, it's because so people he wanted to make sure people knew that he was cougar he was, rather yeah, than yeah, something yeah. someone else. Yeah, um, which makes sense. So he released another four studio albums under John Cougar Mellencamp uh, between 1983 and 1989, with all the albums charting inside the top ten on the Billboard Hot 200. Uh huh. 1983 got to number nine. Scarecrow, 1985, got to number two. The Lonesome Jubilee in 1987 got to number six. And Big Daddy in 1989 got to number seven. But bearing in mind, American Fool, under his stage name, got to number one. <laughs> so the one that got to number one has not one. got his name, Mellencamp. Mouse. I'd be fuming, absolutely fuming. While the singles Crumbling Down, Pink Houses, Lonely of Night, Small Town, Rock in the USA, Paper in Fire and Cherry Bomb all made the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. And are they a Johnny Cougar or a John? No, they were on, this is now John Cougar Mellencamp. Right, okay. With, so, um, yeah, they all made the top ten with Rock in the USA charting at number two in 1986. So become his best chart success since um, Hurt So Good had charted at number two as well. But then it's mad that Jack and Diane's the one that I got. Because that's the only one that yeah. done anything in the UK. Yeah, but it's mad that everybody... Like, Which, as we up. know, American artists, that sometimes happens with. They're big yeah. over in America, but and vice Not versa over here yeah, in yeah, America. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mellencamp then started releasing his work in his own name by dropping his stage name Cougar from so the 1990s. 
and has released um, 16 studio albums under his real name between 1991 and 2023. So he's still going? Yep. Yeah, with 2018's Other People's Stuff charting at number seven on the Billboard Hot 200. Although only one single was charted inside the Billboard Hot 100 since... Um, when 1994's Wild Night reached number three. So, as you say, one single. Yeah. Jack and Diane. Yeah. Released in the UK in 1982. Done really well in um, America, Canada. Um, yeah. When it got to number one. Um, also made a top 10 in Australia at number seven. In the UK, it got to number 25. Oh, it's not even big. So that's not even class as a one-hit wonder, is it? That's no, which is why you've only got one song. He wasn't, didn't, didn't, his music did not transfer to the British public. I just wanted to do Jack and Diane. Well, no. Very catchy. And it's got a nice story. And I like the video. Okay. On to Kenny G. Kenny G. Uh, I've gone with jazz. I think he's quite jazzy. Don't think he's a singer or a musician. Uh, not or a musician. They are a musician. Um, I love the black and white styles. Um, and have you noticed that you've not been shocked yet? Not been what? I've not shocked you yet. No, we're going to now then on Kenny G. Going to Kenny G gonna shock you so he's not a singer because there's not really any lyrics which annoys me doesn't it yeah i don't like when you do that to me no but kenny g it's all very beautiful and i think i might have found an instrumental style that i like well i legit I've listened to songs there yeah. more than once. Mm. More than once, Dad. Mm. And when I first was listening to Songbird, I was like, this is nice. What is this? And I weren't annoyed that there was no lyrics because I was just like, it's like I was taken somewhere. So you've, you've given me something I like instrumental. Wow. So congratulations. Yeah, you, you lost the words, yeah. aren't you? I'm not wow. moaning. You were waiting for me to moan, weren't you? There's nothing I there. Like Songbird. I, I mean, I'm not. A, I mean, I like instrumentalists as far as um, synthesizers go, like Axel F, right. we just mentioned. No. But I'm not a jazz like, person. I, I do I like do Songbird. And I think this week has made me realise. Oh, I think this week has made me realise that I maybe like jazz and I never knew it because I've never listened to jazz. But I like like the saxophone, and saxophones are quite jazzy, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And then I like this, and this is jazz, isn't it? But I think jazz is really good as an instrumental. I don't think you get much jazz that isn't instrumental. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I found my instrumental style. So okay. after years of me moaning, I found something with low lyrics that I like. 
Mm. Okay. There is a pun there from the bloke before, Johnny Cougar. Johnny hates jazz. <laughs> well done, Dad. One of the bands. Well done. And he hates jazz. <laughs> Although they were a jazz band, sort of jazz band. Um, so Kenny G, born Kenneth Gorlick from Seattle, Washington, US. He's been active since 1973. He's a songwriter, saxophonist, sax saxophonist and a record producer okay i did say the and you're right it's jazz smooth jazz and adult contemporary i yeah, don't need that bit don't really get so kenneth is professionally known as kenny g mm. and kenny g started in the music business as part of barry white's love unlimited orchestra in 1973 when he was just 17 and still oh. in high school. Oh, so he started out young. So using the name Kenny Gorlick, he played flute and saxophone with the Seattle funk band Cold, Bold and Together from 1975 to 1976. Then in 1980, he became a member of Jeff Lauber's Fusion in 1982, Kenny signed a solo deal with Arista Records after the label's president, Clive Davis, had heard his rendition of ABBA's Dancing Queen. Following signing his record deal, Kenny adopted the name Kenny G as his stage name as he felt it had a nicer ring to it than Kenneth Gorlick. Yeah, it does. But Kenny G kind of sounds like a gangster type more i don't know he sounds doesn't like, sound like a jazz musician no, he doesn't <laughs> like if i was to judge people off their name i wouldn't go jazz with kenny g is kenny g on the jazz playing the saxophone yeah i wouldn't yeah so he released his debut album in 1981 with members of jeff lauben sorry left jeff lauber fusion so he was a member of Jeff Lauber Fusion. And then when he released his debut album, he got Jeff Lauber's Fusion involved in it. Oh, that's quite nice, though, isn't it? So the studio album was called Kenny G and reached number 10 on the Billboard Jazz album chart. That's not bad. The album included I Can't Tell You Why, a cover of the Eagles hit single oh, how this is weird, weird because i don't we know don't when i put it. together about this <laughs> and already we've had a um a keyboardist who joined matt bianco who was in wham yep and now i've got a rifle, and now you've got this guy and now i've got a saxophonist sax saxophonist i don't know how you pronounce how you'd say it i do saxophonist um who covered a track of the Eagles, Eagles, and we've had Glenn Frey from the Eagles. Weird, so Kenny weird. then released his second album, G-Force, in 1983, which peaked at number six on the Billboard Jazz Album Chart, while the single Hi, How You Doing charted at number 23 on the R&B Chart. Oh, well, I With the vocals like. of Barry Johnson. So he had a vocalist, which is obviously why he got to the R&B chart. Right. Um, his third album, Gravity, was released in 1985 
and reached number 13 on the Billboard Jazz album chart, while the single Love on the Rise reached number 24 on the R&B chart. Both G-Force and Gravity earned platinum certification in the US for selling over 1 million copies. Bit different to Rick Astley's 15 million, but hey. In 1986, Kenny G had his most commercial success with his fourth studio album, Duotones, which reached number six on the Billboard Hot 200 chart, not the jazz, Hot 200 album chart, at number six, while the singles Don't Make Me Wait for Love and Songbird both charted in the Billboard Hot 100 at number 15 and number four, respectively. Although Don't Make Me Wait for Love did chart higher on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart at number two compared to Songbird at number three. But is he American? Kenny G's American, isn't he? Yeah, 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 Seattle. No, Seattle. Yeah. So Kenny has gone on to release 19 studio albums between 1982 and 2021, uh, with his most successful time being between 1992 and 1996, when his albums were placed at either number one or number two on the Billboard Hot 200 chart. Wow. So, 1992, Breathless, number two. 1994, Miracles, the Holiday Album, number one. 1996, The Moments, number two. While the singles from 1992's Breathless both made number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart, 1992's Forever in Love, and 1993, By the Time the Night is Over. So, Kenny G is also a talented golfer, having been a fan of the sport since his elder brother Brian introduced him to it when he was 10. Kenny G paired up with the professional golfer Phil Mickelson to win the Pro-Am in 2001. So Pro-Am is pro and amateur. So you pair up with a pro. Right, um, and they won in 2001, and in 2006, he was named the top musician golfer of the year. That's a thing. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> how? How is that a thing? Okay. God. Um, Kenny G won a Grammy Award in 1994 for Best Instrumental Composition with Forever in Love, as well as winning Nat. NAACP Award for Outstanding Jazz Artists in both 1994 and 1998. Fair enough. While both Silhouette in 1989 and Breathless in 1994 won the Soul Train Music Awards for Best Jazz Album. Songbird was seen to raise Kenny G's profile through its airplay on VH1 and is referred to as the Elevator Song. Because no, of how many listeners. Like you're in a lift. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. 
with many listeners thinking Kenny was playing a clarinet instead of a saxophone. So a lot of people think it's a clarinet in Songbird rather than a saxophone. I wouldn't know the difference, not going to lie. No, nor would I. Not really a musician. So that's the end of this week's. That was Kenny G. Just his um, three songs to see where they charted. Yes. So 1987 Songbird, which, as I said, got to number four on the Billboard Hot 100 and number three on the Billboard Adult Contemporary or Jazz. I can't remember which one it was. Um, However, over here, only got to number 22. Really? Oh, this song could put me to sleep and not in a unbored way. In a, it's just so relaxing. Yeah. Um, I was waiting for more to happen, though. And that was just me having it as the first song of Kenny G, not really knowing much about him. Well, I didn't know much about him after listening to three anyway. But I mean, like the first song, it's like, okay, is anything going to happen? You know, when you're, you're there, like, am I waiting for something? That's what I was like. But oh, so soft and beautiful. Lovely. And then 1993, Forever in Love, which, as we know, did really well in um, America. America got to number one on the adult contemporary chart. Yeah. I gave you it, but it was outside the top 40 here. Number 47 in 1993. Really? That was my favourite. Do you want me to tell you something? It actually gave me goosebumps. Like, legit, it gave me goosebumps. I remember it happening. And I remember looking and being like, oh, it's done something. Um, it gives you gives me so many feelings without it even doing much. Like it's loving, mm-hmm. touching. Oh, it's my favourite. Love it. Mm. Mm. Okay. Braxton also got to number 22. Got to 22. Okay. She changed the vibes. I, yeah, it weren't needed if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Soft though, but I didn't need that one. Right, that is it. So, hit or miss? Yeah, George Michael. Hit, I like him. I thought it might be. Yeah, that would have been one hell of a shock. (laughs) It would. Rick Astley, another hit, even though I will never get over that. I don't think I could listen to him while watching him. Because I can't get over the way his face doesn't match his voice. Just listen to him on that Sainsbury's advert. Oh, yes. I need to do that. Other supermarkets are readily available. Uh, Matt Bianco. Uh, Miss. Miss for the band, who shouldn't have even been in this section. Not a fan. Glenn Bray. He was a hit. I enjoyed him. The heat is on. Yeah. And considering I only had two, but I did say, um, no, it weren't even him that I wish I listened to more, that I was annoyed at myself for not. Oh, it was Johnny Cougar that I wish I listened to more of. But Glenn Frey, I'd also wish I listened to more of. Um, I think he should have been bigger. That's what I said. John Cougar or John Johnny Cougar or John Mellencamp? Um, so, 1982's Jack and Dian, Diane. So I said I hate that I didn't listen to any more, um, mostly to get a more of a feel. But then 
I don't like Jack and Diane, so he's a miss. <clears throat> it's not persuaded me to go out and listen to more as much as I'm like, mm, I kind of wish I did. And finally, Kenny G, the uh, saxophonist, saxophonist, yeah. sax- saxophonist. Oh, I don't know how you say it. Saxophonist. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. It's starting to sound really weird. Can we stop saying it? Um, <laughs> he's a hit. You've definitely found, I think I like jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what you've done. You've given me. Because um, I would never have listened to jazz, really, if I didn't do this with you. Four hits, I'll take that. Yeah, did well this week, I think. Definitely. I did say it was a good week in comparison to previous. Yes. Okay. So, leads me to, uh, before I say goodbye, next week's. Yes. Are you ready? I am indeed. You will have Howard jones i don't know who that is morrissey that just you said that it just made me think of isn't the irish dance a morris dance just made me think of that sorry <laughs> no i don't know it jermaine stewart nope nick cayman the guy the Levi advert. Yeah, well done. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who I thought I'd I given you is. and it wasn't it was him. Eric Eric Kamen? Yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, I don't know who Nick Kamen is. I just know that he did some sort of... Eric Carmen, and I was getting my Oh, up. yeah, yeah. Um, Captain Sensible. Captain Sensible. I feel like you've mentioned that name before. No, maybe not. Rockwell. No. And Owen Paul. No. Okay. This is a week that I have no idea of any of the artists. You'll find out more about them next week then while you're listening to their music. And the weird thing is, because the first one has usually been the big, biggest one. Yeah. um, And I don't know who that is either. No, I recently saw him in concert. As a soloist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cardiff. Cardiff. So you've got Howard Jones, Morrissey, Jermaine Stewart, Nick Kamen, Captain Sensible, Rockwell, and Owen Paul. Okay. All right. So enjoy those. I shall send over the songs. Yep. And we shall discuss them next week. We will indeed. I look forward to it. You will. I think you'll. Think yeah, you, like. I think you might enjoy it. All right, we'll see. We will yep. see. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Other than that, I shall say goodbye. Yeah. Bye, Dad. Bye. <laughs>